You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant, and uh, I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Uh, my, my guest today is very diverse, uh, does a lot of stuff, so it, it's, it's a challenge to... Uh, it's a challenge to, to know where you want to start a conversation because we, had, we just had a brief conversation once and it just wanted to keep going and going. And that's, you know, ideal for, for a guest or anything you're doing. So, so let's get to it. Um, my guest today is martial artist, healer, and massage therapist, Akeem Sami. Welcome to Real Men Feel, Akeem. Hi, Andy. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. The, just, despite the chaos, I'm feeling good. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. You know, can you be in a place of stillness in the middle of places where there could be chaos, you know? And that was also something I had to do a lot of work on myself. Um, in my studies, both shamanically and doing pranic healing, which is a form of uh, Buddhism that kind of integrates into uh, that teaching, it's always been about uh, how deep are you willing to go within yourself? And once you're there, what can you get done? What can you accomplish about yourself? What can you learn about who you really are? And what can you turn around and share with the world? That's been my particular challenge, being completely transparent about what it is that I'm experiencing in my life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. So is the challenge always been what to share with the world? Or are you saying particularly right now what you want to share kind of next as a next step for what you're up to? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, it's been like that for... Uh, a lot of years in my life. And it's kind of one of those things that I learned early on in my life. I, I experienced some trauma coming up. Fortunately enough, uh, both of my parents are, were always uh, people that were in my corner, you know, and very lucky about that. But there were some things that I encountered early on in my life that really, uh, to be honest, I mean, attacked my confidence at speaking my words, speaking my truth, so to speak. Uh, a lot of those things uh, stemmed around the school system uh, from kindergarten, spectacular year. I was very happy, go lucky. Uh, I could read uh, about two years before. My mom taught me how to read. A uh, very meticulous person she is. And my dad being the very honor-driven uh, person that he is, he's, he was an Air Force cop at that time. Uh, the base uh, personnel that usually lets people in the in the uh, base in Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. So I mean, his there was this military meets hard work ethic sort of energy that uh, I was very lucky to have very early in my life, and having that was spectacular and it was key. And I'll tell you how it it ended up being super super important. By the time I got to the end of kindergarten. A psychologist was my first kindergarten teacher. She was magnificent. She was awesome. She was a wonderful person. She was very outgoing. And she also went way around the mulberry bush. That's the way I tend to explain things. I used to think there was something wrong with that earlier in my life that I realized that, oh, I like to tell stories. <laughs> I mean, you know, whether they're completely true or not, I think I always tried to be as factual as possible. I've always kind of gone, lost over the information. But uh, with, with uh, my, my family of origin, you know, from the kindergarten years, it was perfect, it was spectacular. It was first grade. That was the very beginning of the challenges. So in first grade, uh, I had a crush on the teacher, interestingly enough. At, at first, I thought there was something wrong when she didn't seem to, you know, like kind of like, Hey, this is, this is cool. This person's nice. Let me direct this person's uh, feelings toward accomplishing his work. It ended up becoming something more of a, of a, of an anger based like showdown. I didn't know what it was. I just remember feeling uh, kind of pushed away. I just remember feeling um, that even though I was one of the top three readers in my class, that 
this person was just really off put with me and me being the, the character I've always been, which is, man, I really like to connect with people. And I was really young age, just chatter, 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 talk, 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 and talk to anybody. I could be in the street, just met the person, we're walking our dogs, and all of a sudden I meet a new friend. That was the kind of person that I've always been throughout my life. And uh, meeting this first challenge, being pushed away, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was very painful. Uh, knowing that there was nothing wrong with me became a challenge later on, especially as she began to try to prove to my parents that somehow I couldn't read, even though they knew better. Uh, strange. Yeah. And then she brought the vice principal into it saying, no, he can't read. Hmm. And he doesn't do all of his work. He doesn't pay attention. He's really hyper. It's very hyperactive, moves around all the time. Then she brought the principal into it. And by then, I mean, I would hear all these things being said as I was brought into the meeting with both of my parents and my parents right off knew, I mean, this is, yeah, this isn't true. He is very outgoing. He talked a lot. He is very uh, well-spoken when he does speak. And he's very thoughtful. He's very caring, considerate. He seems to be a very uh, feeling person. Yeah. He's not having issues with his intelligence. He's very expressive and just doesn't know exactly where he wants to put all of it. So uh, for me, it was really difficult being in that room. And then it took another step above that. Then I was brought to the Harry Jerzyk Center in San Antonio. That's where they basically have doctors and lab coats and such. And they, they hook you up to machines. You know, they put those little, I felt kind of like a RoboCop, <laughs> where they had you hooked up to a little machine, you know, and they lay you on this little bed. And it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the sleep machine where they kind of read that Richter scale of, you know, how's the sleep patterns. And they finished like seven different tests. Each doctor had a, a specialization. And they all said, uh, so we have all come together in this and we agree there's something very different about your son than is with other kids that we have looked at and measured. Never knew what that meant, but I sure know what it felt like. It felt like being completely judged and suppressed. So it, it had been a thing by the time I felt like walking through the doors at school. I remember specifically saying to my dad, third grade. And this is, by the way, this is two years through some poverty. Uh, we were living in, in our car for a few weeks or, or such. My dad had an emotional breakdown. He just got done selling insurance and he'd gone from several jobs trying to fiend, fend for his family. But uh, yeah, he wasn't very successful. My mother also got fired. Um, she was actually protesting. She was, she was actually protecting a lot of her coworkers. Uh, from uh, the the practices in her office in San Antonio. And basically that got her fired. They were the protester types and I was there. You know, I had watched them get arrested at the age of seven. So, I mean, I'd seen all these different like things happen that really attacked my confidence and it made me question things like, am, am I good? Is my family good? Is there something wrong with us? I mean, those are police officers arresting my parents you know, those are different things that it kind of plays with a child's confidence. Um, and it, it also made me shut down emotionally. So it took some work, some doing. By the third grade, I remember specifically telling my dad, Dad, I feel that every time I walk into school, as soon as the doors close, my power leaves me. He heard that. That was all he needed to hear. He said, son, you will never go back to that public school again. I homeschooled from third grade through 12th grade. I spent a lot of time uh, trying to build up my confidence and working on the fact that I'm hearing and picking up all these messages. I'm feeling these things. I'm, I'm actually intuitively knowing what people want from me. I can pick up that they're thinking certain things or uh, there's intent I could feel their intent, but not knowing exactly what to do with that. So it actually painted an interesting pathway by the time I got into my teens. By my teens, I was arrogant. I felt very intelligent. I was, let me see, by junior in high school, I was writing at freshman college level. 
took a lot of work. Uh, my dad's also a writer. He wrote a book called The Unshackled Mind, an Afrocentric Approach to Self-Help. He wrote that, interestingly enough, uh, while we were in the first year of poverty. By that second year, we got into poverty, uh, or second uh, time. It was a second time where we got into poverty around 14, 15. Interesting enough, that was my arrogance age. That's where I was trying to prove to everyone that I was smart, that, hey, I, I've got my stuff together. No one can stop me. I know everything I need to know. I study history. And, you know, adults were saying, what are you, a history buff? And I would, I would, I would get competitive with how I would talk to people. Uh, almost in a debate-like format, but that was also my dad's influence too, being on uh, public access television shows. And he went out and did public speaking for about 10 years. I was his cameraman. And I also took in a lot of the concepts and soaked in some of the, the knowledge that he'd had, the debates that he'd had out in public. And uh, he'd gone to Dallas County jails and worked with, uh, with at-risk youth. Uh, he'd gone to Washington, D.C., but I was also his, his IT guy slash officer of Sohaja Publishing Company, where he would write something and he would bounce it off of me. So what's the image here? What does this come across? And it, was, it was always good. I learned advertising and things like that from him as well, uh, sending faxes out to random clients, cold calls, things like that. I learned all of that all in high school. So uh, fast forward to uh, the time when I became a martial artist. That was when I started getting back out into public. When I was 14, a lot of things happened. Being a martial artist, it really put me into this outside of my family of five. You know, one sister older, one sister younger. Uh, taught me a lot about being able to feel and being able to connect with the feminine energies. Very close to my mother, close to my father, and very close to my grandmother, who also came to live with us, interesting enough, when I was 13. So uh, there were a lot of different influences that I had that brought lots of feeling and gave me opportunities to kind of grow my confidence again toward being able to help people. And, well, being a martial artist also brought me closer and closer to community service. So I was assistant instructor within about a year, became black belt at 16, still out in this. And by the way, the classes weren't in these enclosed like dojos, they were they were actually in community centers. <laughs> That's how I got to it. So it was lots of people, just random people from anywhere, all walks of life just walks in. And here I am all of a sudden I'm working on them or I'm working on their child. You know, a lot of single mothers I worked on as well and learned that there was an interesting similarity with African-American boys being able to uh, express and feel and had the same issues that I had with being able to, express themselves and feel safe to express themselves. I thought that was very interesting. I, I didn't make that connection, but I just kept looking and seeing the anomaly. It's like, hmm. And I remember him saying the exact same thing that I said when I was nine, just like he was. Wow. It, 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 was, it was interesting. It really blew my mind. So I, it also sold me on the importance of community service and continuing to work with my dad through uh, the early 2000s being his officer and all, uh, I ended up doing a whole lot more to not only help the community, but to help him and to, I guess, be able to, to shine out and be able to let myself express. I became a part of a musical group as well. I played the djembe, uh, played for one, and then later on, about five years ago, I also started playing for a second uh, African dancing group. So I started getting a lot of cultural immersion as I left the house, built my confidence in being a musician uh, while still being a martial artist and ran my own lawn business at 20 and such and began selling homemade pies with my grandmother also. And that was also another one of those tests where it also reminded me how important it is to see everyone who they are as who they show up to be, but know that there's something deeper. You know, it was, it was my, my goal. I started playing around with that, how exciting it was to see a person who has a certain perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you a certain perspective. I can walk into a gun show and someone will look at me like, at first they look at my dad, like, 
who's this guy in here? This, 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 you know, in rural Texas, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I don't know about this guy. They would look at him and look at me with two different eyes. They would look at him like, who's this stranger? And look at me like, hey, how are you doing, buddy? I've never met him in my life, but it was the same thing. That's because I always showed up with my heart and I always did my best to do that. And I, I got off on melting people's hearts, no matter what perspective that they had, to be able to get them to know me and I get to know them. So that also showed itself again in other ways. So, uh, yeah, lots of things. Is there anything you've done that you haven't excelled at? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? okay. oh, well, <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm also working at uh, being a, well, I mean, while I'm a massage therapist, it's kind of like one of those lifelong things that you do something and you're looking for the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. Now, some will say that I'm pretty good at it, but I still feel like I'm like, you know, I'm trying to take this to the next level. I'm doing uh, forms of meditation while doing massage. That's, that's like, yeah, being able to help walk people through emotional things that happen in their life, being able to connect with them and doing that, that's, that comes natural to me, but I still am not quite where I want to be with being able to um, do a form of therapy that's verbal as well as physical. So I, I don't excel at that yet. Okay. But yeah, yes. yeah, yet, yet is key. So I'll give you that. Yeah. It sounds like an, an amazing from such an early age ability of, of mastery of, of what, whatever you choose. I tried, I tried. I think it was because I was so bent on uh, meticulous studying and, you know, I was, as the homeschooler, I mean, they would just, I'd have this little um, homemade desk that this uh, friend across the street, an uh, ex-World War II vet, uh, he, he made for our family. And that was our, our desk. I would sit there in my room, in my corner with my little radio. And, you know, back in, in that time, you know, it, we'd have the little, you know, the antenna for the radio. I'd set it there and then sit it in the corner. And I'd sit there facing the wall and facing my desk. And I wouldn't stop until like, uh, five or six hours later, you know, it was just, just meticulous. Uh, and I you, guess there's a cost to that. Though. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. There, I mean, there's a cost to everything that, you know, your, your time, your money interests, right. It's, it's a, there's a give and take for everything in exchange. Yeah. yeah right I'm on. struck by, um, you know, at, at such a young age, uh, you know, back back in the third grade, saying you notice your power leaving when you went into school, and you spoke of your ability to really come at people from the heart, and but you said it, 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 that was different from your dad's energy. So it's not like your dad's book and your dad's teachings that that's not what taught you to lead with your heart. It, this is just seems to be organic to you. Uh, what was always organic to me is being able to empathetically read people. And something that I also learned while well, I learned it from my dad, an aspect of how he did that, uh, my desire to melt people's heart was always mine. Um, and, you know, there's a strength and weakness to that, too, because I also wanted to be liked so much. I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted, I wanted to, to feel like Mr. Perfect. I wanted to seem like the good son, quote unquote, you know. Uh, there's strengths and weaknesses to that too. You know, when you're, when you're playing uh, to a, a role rather than just stepping out and being genuine with yourself, you know, and that's, that's why it's also important. Are you doing the work that you really want to be doing in your life, you know, or are you moving toward it at least, you know, and I still feel like there's aspects that I haven't unveiled in my capabilities and skills, but ultimately if you listen to your heart as I'm, getting better and better at even more than just this role of perfection in everything that you touch. I mean, <laughs> I mean, sure. Uh, there is a, an excellent level of accomplishment in some areas, but the other thing that always humbled me was remembering that there's always someone better down the corner. There's always someone better. And there's always a way that I can make this better. There's always some sort of angle that I can look at this in a way that I haven't looked at it. And it always reminded me that, okay, well, you know, you may feel like you did good here, but then there's this, then there's this. Yeah, that, that notion of more and someone's better was something that I always used to like beat myself up with. But as I've gotten more into my own growth and, and recognizing kind of spiritual truths, 
Mm. That more, that yearning of more, well, the good, that, that means you're supposed, supposed to be here, right? There's more to do, so that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you felt like you're very, very, like, your, your purpose was made up for, right? Well, at least I thought of it that way. I felt like, and this is, this is the earlier mistakes in my life, where I felt like I was making up for something. I felt like I was making up for what all those doctors used to say about me. That little nine, eight, nine-year-old kid, again, saying that I am worthwhile. I do have something worthwhile. I do help the community that I come from, and I have something to offer. You know, and no longer am I in this place where I'm like trying to prove to everyone that, hey, I'm, I can do this, I can do that, I'm awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing process, though, to remember that there's always someone around the corner. There's always someone who does something better, and there's always someone that you can learn from. Whether it be uh, an infant just taught me something new, or it could be an elder, 96 years old, you know, my great granddad used to teach me little lessons like that. You know, it was, it was good to see him. He actually was uh, from Sacramento and uh, we drove down to see him and him and my grandmother, they both had this, this, this salt of the earth, like energy to him. You know, uh, I was on my mom's side. Uh, so of course it was also more time I got to spend with my mom <laughs> and sisters and, and how important it was to them that, they have this this feeling, this notion of choice and this ability to make choices and have freedom to make those choices. And, you know, and they didn't seem very self-suppressing. You know, that was implying for me that I could do the same thing. That so I could even, be better than even in the times of your family really dealing with, with uh, some very heavy-duty poverty, mm-hmm. this mindset, this ability to, to choose and to, to feel free and to pursue what you want, that was always still there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. We had this, we, we can remember some of the most detailed moments. Uh, for me, it was one particular night that we, for some reason, couldn't turn on the lights in the house that we were renting uh, when I was six. And I remember, okay, we can't turn on the lights. What do we do? Well, what did my mom and dad do? They could have gone into this place of worry and concern or blame or anger or hostility, frustration with the power company, not giving them a few more days uh, leeway before shutting off the, uh, the power. Instead, they pulled out candles. They pulled out candles and then just set them all out in a nice uh, warm fashion in the living room and had a couple on the mantle and, and we sat and we played Monopoly. We started having all these moments of, of laughter. My dad was, being the comedian he is, uh, would always tell us jokes. And we kind of lean on his shoulder and wait for dad to tell you another one kind of thing. You know? So he had this way of bringing levity in to the middle of a traumatic situation or a difficult situation. For me, I just noticed my parents going through it. Uh, I noticed that I couldn't play with my toys anymore because they were lost in storage because we couldn't afford to pay for the, uh, the storage unit uh, to rebuilding toys and, you know, eventually going to another place when we got back out of poverty and did well there. But it was always warm, this feeling of like security within my parents, mm. this warmth was always present. I was very fortunate for that, I realized and then the, uh, your dad's book, The Unshackled Mind, and, and you said that was written at one of these times of poverty. So was that really the let's like, hmm, was his sense of being a valuable human being, of, of adding value and service and community service and taking care of the family, that all was still fully intact, regardless yes. of economics? Yeah. Yes, hmm. yes. And it was, it was the hallmark of, of his book. Um, he has one chapter called your mind, your guidance system. And in that chapter, it talks about your mind. When you go to a place of negativity, what happens if you stay in that place of negativity? How bad can it get? <laughs> Do you want to see how far it can go? <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, it's not like 
denial. It's a matter of programming your mind to be at least close to the state that you want to be in that makes you feel like you can do something, like you're effectual, like you can be happy. That's, that's been the key item for me throughout my life. No matter what the calamity has been, it's been something along the line of, well, how can I reframe this? How can I reframe this into some sort of way that, that I can show up and that I might even be able to shine? So yeah, it's, it's you leading your mind as opposed to your mind leading you around. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's quite the challenge too, uh, depending on what the situation is, especially if we get, get wrapped up, you know, and, and anger, you know, for me, when I get wrapped up in uh, feelings of insecurity, you know, like, can I really do this job? Can, if I, it, when I first started working uh, with Time Warner Cable, uh, I was a phone technician. I later migrated on, but the hard thing was knowing, can I do this job? Because I, I had just come from working for myself for six months. I had my own job lawn job to helping my mother or my grandmother with uh, homemade pies, selling homemade pies to, and I was like, basically like a marketing agent to, okay, now you're doing tech support because you were the family like repair person. You would fix the computer. The computer would break down. I'd be the first one to talk to. And I said, well, my mom said, well, how about you go work for Time Warner Cable? That's a nice solid job. And you can bring in some, some good income, bring our, our family some more. We were starting to go toward poverty again uh, by about 16, 17. So it was, it was this migration pattern of going from job to another job that made more money and to a job that made even more. Well, it was logical with that. I had completely switched fields. I had never done any phone tech support before. Very intimidating. Uh, what, what do I do? You know, it was fortunately enough, everyone was pretty patient with me. Uh, I adapted well. And then I ended up figuring out how to make lemonade out of the thing. Uh, at first it was, I can't feel people. I can't feel people over the phone. I, I, I'm not looking at them. They're not looking at me. How can I reach these people and help them with something? Well, I ended up taking it to the next level. The lemonade was learning how to feel people over the phone and remotely being able to connect with people and hear their concerns. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a master at it, even though I did that particular job within Time Warner Cable for six years. And I switched to other phone related jobs, working for network operations centers, which I'm also that now I'm also a network engineer for Spectrum. Uh, that's another one of those jobs that's also about connecting with people, working with people, helping difficult uh, situations, uh, helping resolve um, stuff that could more so be based on personality rather than the actual problem needing to be solved. So I fortunately enough get practice doing that now too. Cool. Earlier you mentioned that, that it's your goal to melt people's heart. Could, could you mm. define or expand on that a bit? Yes, absolutely. So for me, what I do is in sitting up, I'm, I'm noticing I'm changing my posture right now. I'm going in to explain this. So for me, what I do as I sit up, I go into a spirit practice where I take my deep breaths, breathing in with the nose, holding for several moments, out with the mouth several moments. Later on, I learned what's called pranic breathing, which is where you breathe in for six seconds hold for three seconds, breathe out for six seconds. It's that process of this quieting. Once I had this quieting, I've always been able to go to this space where my the energy I visualize in the center of my chest, that there's this energy orb and that I can visualize it's radiating. I can breathe and calm myself and feel it radiating. And then I feel it emit forward as it reaches out, not to penetrate, but to reach to the other person's energy field. And once I've reached that other person's energy field, I'll, in a very lovingly way, use the vibration of my voice to connect with them and ask them how they're doing. Sometimes not even asking them how they're doing with words, but asking with the sensation, with the feeling. And I actually sometimes 
can hear a response back. Like, I'm doing terrible, I'm doing crappy, or I'm feeling pretty good, or I'm glad that someone's talking to me. <laughs> you know, it's that, that sensation. You, you get some of all of that, you know, all walks of life, you know, so that's how I, that's how I open my heart up to connect with people. And that's how I reach out. And then once the conversation started, well, I mean, it's kind of like you and I are talking right now. It's, it's exciting. You know, it's, this is, this is great. I'm liking this. I'm really glad we're having a conversation like you and I are having. That your experience reminds me of 2010. I, I was doing my training to become an, an energy coach and I was oh. seeing, I was taking classes in Boulder, Colorado. So I'd fly back to Boston like, three times a year they'd be like week-long intensives come back and mm. i remember being on planes and this the perfect place like usually people are grumpy no one's really talking to each other and i would pick someone like four rows ahead of me and just like just sending love and kindness sending love and kindness and see mm. like oh and i noticed a shift in them and then other people i'd like wow i'd get a message back and again just experiencing the energy of the people and realize we can communicate and it's uh yeah um some of those moments of discovery, those little wow moments, just, I mean, I've never forgotten these plane rides, obviously, you know, 10 years later. So, um, yeah, so I, I really, I, I get and appreciate what you're saying. It, it, for, for you doing this, was, was this innate and just you've been doing it as a child or was it some of that and also like learned skills and practice? Like what, what was your process to, to discover this? Well, uh, I'm second generation. Well, third generation playing with my energy field as far as I know. Um, I learned from my dad, whom, interesting enough, I mean, he was a base cop and he would walk through certain like dark corridors as he's going across the whole base and uh, patrolling it. Uh, he could feel certain energies come from him too. And he could feel some that were like malevolent, like energies. And he energetically would stop everything and repulse that energy. So, I mean, that's, he already did an upgrade from his mother whom taught him some of the feeling capabilities, uh, being able to sense people empathetically. Uh, and I got a chance to, to connect and I'm still enjoying my grandmother now. So I've seen who he learned from about opening up your empathy skills yeah. and connecting with people. And so, yeah, she did it and he did it. And then he showed me, but he also noticed that interestingly enough, I already just had this, this, what did he, what does he call it? He says, I have a heart of all open outdoors where I just reach out and I connect with people. And, and I always wanted to but beyond any sort of training or anything that he showed me. Yeah. With his that, words. In my experience and, and from people I've, I've trained with, it's all children have this, do this. And then society and school and the culture shuts it down. But yeah, so it's amazing that but we have family remembering, no, this, this is who you are. This, these are your gifts. This is what you can do to remind you and not have you. So it sounds like you never had a period of, of losing it. Like so, um, so many adults go on their journey to try to seek and discover some old skill set. But it sounds like you never were missing it. Well, I, I want to say that I did have a certain point where I started missing. I started by my late 20s interestingly enough, got to this space. And I was, I was also in a marriage that I wasn't in complete alignment with. Um, I was Mr. Perfect once again, right? So I, had, I bought my first car, bought my first house, bought my first car and house at the age of 24 and got a chance to enjoy what it feels like to be like a homeowner. And, oh, wow, this is great. And it, in, my, in my immediate ancestry, it it's not something that's incredibly common that all of us own property. So it was one of the earlier things I took care of. I was like, okay, I'm going to get my house. I'm going to get my car and then I'm going to get my family. I got married. And eventually I got to a place where I realized I was giving to a relationship that didn't completely align with my future in energy work. And it was so meticulously um, used it was so focused on my left side of my brain which is the analysis right the being able to reason then the feeling side which is the uh, emotional the one that heart math institute would suggest is where your heart is connected to the right side of the brain uh, for me i got to a left side of my brain point to where i started feeling as I would start to get into arguments and anger uh, uh, with my ex-wife, 
that my energy would actually shorten. I actually felt that my self chakra, which is just below it, it's the yellow one, and then the green one is the heart chakra. I actually felt my self chakra shrinking. And interesting, interestingly enough, I created a, uh, in an ethereal perspective, without knowing it, I was repulsed by being shut down, not being able to have access to myself as it connects to my heart. And toward the very end of, of our relationship, uh, I noticed that my heart, that the self chakra was like really small and my heart chakra was shortening too. And by that time, uh, I had a major uh, energetic shift. I got into a really, the way that it showed up for me, an energetic shift, is a car accident. First car accident I had uh, was about two years before the really nasty one for me. Uh, I just had, I had nothing but seatbelt rash. Fell asleep on the road on the way back between San Antonio and Austin. And yeah, it was, it was really nasty. It was one of those, you look at the other truck that I rear-ended at a stop sign as I fell asleep on the road going down the highway. I walk away with nothing but seatbelt rash. It, it, was, it was amazing. It was like, in, like a 70, 60 to 70 mile an hour collision. He was stationary. Uh, yeah, it, it was, and I, I lived. He lived. Everyone was fine. Uh, two years later, I didn't finish making that change. I was trying to keep things together because, you know, I have, I have two kids by this, by my ex-wife. So it was also this place of, Hey, well, we got to stay together, you know, stay together for the kids. We've, we've heard that before in our parents and in different generations where they like stay together for the kids, uh, even though they're, they may not be happy with something. You know. So, uh, yeah, by 2013, uh, that nasty car accident for me happened in my early thirties where, uh, it was, I was basically, it was an opposing uh, car rear ended two other cars jumped into the opposing lane. I was that car in the opposing lane. I was going about 45. They were going about 30 ish by the time they rear ended that person. So about another 70 mile hour collision, except it was head on. So it broke my uh, fibula and tibia uh, bones in my leg. Uh, that actually reset everything for me. I was unable to, I was unable to walk being a physical person, being a martial artist, and like to take my kids hiking and throw them on my shoulders and pick them up and throw them around and laugh and play. And, uh, I couldn't do any of those things. I had to completely stop and reset everything. I had to see where my life was. I had to see where my love relationship was or lack thereof for me. And I had to find out what I was going to do about that. So I, I'd realized only after that fact that, oh, I was just trying to be Mr. Perfect. I wasn't truly meeting my energetic purposes. I resisted. Now, interesting enough, a previous generation, my dad had the exact same thing happen for him at 32. He had complete renal failure. That actually stemmed the second homeless uh, event that happened in our family. So that's by the time I was 14, I had to go to work for the family specifically with the intent of, hey, uh, you need to cover the other half of, of the funds. You know, mom's working. Now I've got to figure out how I'm going to come up with the rest of the family's other half of the money. And so I did. I was able to successfully kind of get a job and kind of come out of it. But then in that same process, I started giving up little bit bits of purpose work, you know, opportunities to travel to tournaments in other states. Uh, a couple of, of people that I had talked with or gone uh, and competed with in martial arts had gone to the Olympics or at least were drafted for the Olympics or something to that effect. And I was also in the karate Olympic games in San Antonio and I had opportunities to upgrade, but I didn't aggressively go for those things because I was trying to be Mr. Perfect at home. I wanted to have the house, have the car and be the husband and be the dad. And I didn't bring myself to the place where I was willing to step outside of my comfort zone uh, and really step into helping people to a bigger, deeper, better way. So uh, my energy shifted. Something else came up, though, that I need to tell you about if you want to hear it. Um, you mentioned kids 
at a super young age, I'd heard it around the age of seven or so, start to lose their psychic capabilities. That all kids have access to these things, but they lose it. Something happens in their life, either a traumatic event happens or, um, or, or something else happens. So they just grow up in an environment where people said, oh, you thought you saw a ghost? You don't know what you're looking at. Mr. Boogeyman, oh, no, you don't know what you're looking at. You know, and they say, oh, no, just ignore it. You know, it'll go away. And it does because the kid switches their energetic frequency from being able to pick those things up anymore. You know, kind of like Superman on that movie, Man of Steel. You know, when, when he was a kid, you could, you could see people's skeletons. And it's like, ah, I don't know what to do with all this, you know, sensory overload, you know. And he had to learn how to tame that right. within him, you know. It, well, instead of getting rid of it, uh, interesting enough, I was given a vision. My great-grandmother, well, correction, my great-great-grandmother on my dad's mom's side had just died one year before or one year after I was born by the age of five, four years later, she had long gone. She showed up to me in my bedroom sitting in this, uh, we have like a, in that room that I was, I was in at five slash six, uh, I had this 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 uh, bookcase that my dad would always read read books to us on Amityville Horror and other scary books like that were also on the topic on that same bookcase, and he would say, "Don't sit on that that uh, that case because it had like a, a front door that you'd open up and it's it's not highly reinforced." And he said, "Don't sit on that, son. I, I'll break it." This is what he told his five six year old son. <laughs> you know, don't sit on that, son. I was looking at her in my bed and I just pulled back the blanket and I saw her sitting in the very same place I'd be sitting on that staircase. So half of me was saying, oh, you're not supposed to sit right there. You're going to be in trouble. And who is this person looking at me? (laughs) I mean, a, a, a grown woman, she's covered all in blue. I mean, if you've seen the Star Wars movies, it, she looked like Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of thing. I mean, she was covered all in blue. And yeah, I, I saw this person covered all in blue sitting on the staircase looking at me. And it wasn't just the fact that she was looking at me. I could look into her eyes. I could gaze into her eyes. And I could feel her words without her saying them. I could feel her and I can, as I'm thinking about this now, I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it. I'm feeling this, this feeling that she's telling me that you may not know me, but I love you and I'm watching out for you and you're okay. And, <laughs> you know, I, 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 being the five, six year old that I was freaked out and goes, ah, <laughs> pulled the, the, uh, the uh, blanket over my head, pulled it back down and she was gone, you know? And I had never seen it so clean and clear, even up to now in my life. I had never seen it so clean, crisp, and clear. That age, yeah, I, right on. So I highly recommend that anyone doing any spiritual studies or they think that their kid is seeing the boogeyman, work with them. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, but yeah, but believe instead of your first instinct being discount, whatever they're saying, yeah, like. What if, what if they're not making this up? What if this is happening? And, right. and investigate it that way. Yeah, and I recommend the same thing. Cool. You know, um, with all of your unique experiences and ability to connect at such a young age and the, and the empathy and the open heart, I wonder, has there ever been a point where someone told you that's not how a man's supposed to be or act or feel? Yes. Uh, interesting enough, I heard conflicting messages from my father about that. Uh, he, if you're into astrology, he has nine planets out of 12 planets that's usually looked at in astrology. Nine of those 12 planets are under the energy sign of Leo. Well, Leo is known for being very energetic, boisterous, uh, aggressive. And with his nine planets, uh, of his 12 planets that's looked at in astrology being Leo, he always has been this strong, like, dominating energy force so you know in his youth 
he always had this side to him that had the feeling, energy, feeling side, sensitive side. And then he also had this other side. This other side was this protector, this fierce protector that he, that he frequently used being from the Air Force, you know, and the boots and, you know, the militant like energy about him and this gruffness. There was always this, this, a man is supposed to do this. He never said that I wasn't supposed to uh, feel, but he would often discount some of the different things that I'd sensed and felt because I didn't know how to communicate it in the language that made sense to him as a nine planets in Leo that, that he's been. You know, in the younger parts of his, of his years, he was always trying to prove himself. He was always trying to bring himself out as someone who was to be respected. And he grew up in a ghetto. So, yeah, uh, respect over all else, and then you can have sensation and feeling later. Mm. The hard thing for me, where I feel like, and I think, I think he'll agree with me on this today. I think so. I'll ask him again. But the challenge for me has always been how to have your heart out in the open at all times, even when met with resistance and anger and hostility. It's not something that I've mastered yet, but that's another one of those things. It's like, wow, how awesome would it be if we could do that? If we could really be in the middle of a conflict or someone is trying to uh, destabilize us energetically and we could extinguish that, but still be in love in a place of, of care. You know, I'm not saying like someone breaks down your door to your house and you're like, you know, all love and light, you know, you got to stop the threat, but still being able to look at that person and see them as a human being and being able to connect with them. That's, that's been the thing that I've always tried to upgrade. Mm. You know, and for me, as, as a kid growing up, the lesson that I'd always heard was uh, do what you can in the middle of the moment to the very best and strongest of your ability and then sort it out later. The challenge for me is to be able to do it at the same time in the mm. same moment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that sounds not trained in the martial arts. That sounds like kind of a, a goal of that too. Like, stop opposing force and just, you know, centered, grounded. There's no need to attack for the sake of vengeance or attack. Mm. It's, you know, it's redirecting energy, also that sort of thing. Am I at all on the right page on that? Right on. That's what I see too. Uh, And it kind of also makes me think of Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Mm. You know, that the best war uh, that is fought is the one that didn't have to be fought. It ended before it started. It's like the best one. <laughs> Why? Because there was no casualties to be had. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no so, yeah, real to, if, if, if humans could consider the fight, any fight they avoid as a fight that's won because it was avoided, that's a total mindset shift for, for society. I'd agree. And I think there's a certain perspective, though. I mean, when some would say something like, uh, you walk away now, but they'll attack you later. You need to create some sort of uh, hesitation with them being able to attack you or come back at you later on. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm in a place there where if you can send this energy of saying, Hey, I see you, I see what you're doing. I don't agree with it, whether it can be with your words or with your actions. To be honest with you, I see this in law enforcement all the time. The good ones that I've seen, my dad's a cop. I, I completely understand. I understand law enforcement's perspective. And I usually have really good run-ins with law enforcement because my dad was a cop. I understand the thinking process there. It was so important to say, I understand what you're saying. I also need to give you this information. You know, or I can see what you're doing. I see you being the first thing that you indicate to them. And then also give them where you are with it. That is so, so hard to be in presence depending on what happens or how it's happening, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Right on. And you've also mentioned a few times the the, the impact and, and how you liked um, spending time with your mom and your grandmother and your sisters and, and, and that feminine energy. So why is it important to, to be able to connect to the feminine? Well, 
in a lot of my trainings, I tend to find lots of things that correlate to my thought process. Uh, you may also see some of this in my dad's book, the Your Mind, Your Guidance System, and the one that I'm working on now. I'm working on my own autobiography too, by the way. Um, what, what I ended up learning is that when you are having access to a very, what's called stable, like force, like an energy that's almost immovable, but is present. I tend to have in my studies come across information suggesting that that's masculine. The energy that moves around it, that moves over it, under it, in like circles, energetically, is E, motion, is feminine, is yin. That's the way I've learned it up to now. So that's, that's where I am with it. And so for me, learning how to be this stabilizing force, but then learning how to connect with the moving forces all around you is something that I learned in the household coming up, seeing that uh, both of my sisters are Cancerians. Cancerians notoriously are uh, not incredibly emotional, but are really watery. Well, it also adds to it that, you know, my sign is I'm a Pisces too. So I'm watery, <laughs> a mutable wateriness. So, so uh, yeah, it made it really easy to connect with their emotion, their moving, you know, the ebbs and flows per se uh, of, of instability, you know, of not being in one place, moving in all directions at the same time, you know, but then also still having this challenge of staying stable but then having the energy within you and not being able to have someone complete you in doing this. Cause some people in relationships, they want them to complete them and they just play one role in the other place and play another. Mm. I tend to think of us all as a microcosm of the universe. The universe has all of its checks and balances all intertwined. I honestly am of the perspective that the human body and the universe is the same thing that we have a universe on the inside of us. Our, our millions and millions of cells are like little planets. And the space in between them is the black matter, the black energy that we're hearing about in the universe now, that it's just mysteriously expanding. It just sounds like it's growing, right? Which feels like the human body to us. You know, that we're not, this, this galaxy isn't in its infancy and it's more, it's growing. It's growing to a new level vibrations and frequencies are changing and this moving that comes about it in the household that I was in helped me to see that and connect with the fact that that movement is a part of life. Growth is also connected directly in time with the movement, but then also with the direction of having the yang as well as the yin all working together in this wonderful symphony. So. Right. So it's, it's about traditionally masculinity is, is the, is is the the form, the force, the the solidity, and femininity is is the flow. So it's being comfortable and allowing yourself to be both the force and the flow, mm. and then and that you're the whole package, right? That's yeah. my goal. Yeah, cool. I, <laughs> I mean, that yeah. some some will say that you can do that. Some say you can't do that. Some say they they have their own perspectives. I, I'm under the perspective that anything is possible as long as your mind is open to learning how to be all of that. And the, the, the notion of how we are a universe, we are the universe, um, would always boggle. I love discovering this. Like, oh, yeah, like what we look up is space and see, oh, there's nothing. Like, no, there, there's more space than there is substance. And even in our bodies, there's more space than there is cells and atoms and material. We're, we're made of more space. So, when again, if, if people are listening and they're going, like, energy and what it is, and like, you know, if, what if the nothingness that you see with your eyes that's the energy. That's the real flow of, of life. Like that's the energetic force that, that is life itself. And, or, I, love, I love that you're saying this. I love that you're saying this. This is, this is so awesome being able to have this conversation with another man about this. You know what I mean? This is just awesome. I love having this conversation. Uh, I'm seeing exactly that. And that this gap in the space in between in the Star Wars world, we would always call it the force, Right. This all of a sudden, you know, it makes the difference between being able to pick up a rock or not, you know, or levitation and how were the pyramids built and it had to only be aliens. And what if there was levitation that we learned by mastering our, our masculine and feminine energies? 
and worked with the poles of the earth, the North and the South Pole. What if that was mastered to a degree with tuning forks or harnessing tools? It really gets exciting thinking about all of our possibilities as long as we open our mind and keep ourselves flexible to that. Yeah, it, it, similar to the space, the emptiness is where everything's really happening. There's so much more that we don't know than we know. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it, it's, I mean, it's part of the human ego, I guess, because er, at every time, every, you know, everyone was sure, we know everything there is to know. And, like, and that's still like, but science says this. I'm like, science is, science is always wrong until the next version of science discovers something else, right? So, right on. You know? so, yeah. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, science is basically waiting to be disproven. And it's almost, to be honest with you, it, I'm not a scientist, but my interpretation of science seems very, in this current society, masculine dominated. And because it's so masculine dominated, it makes it inflexible. It's missing the element that I always associate with the heart, which is feeling, which is sensitivity, which is openness, which is expansion, uh, bottomless expansion. The bigger your heart is, the more expansion you can have. you know, when we, when we have this mentality that things have to be proven and it's dog-eat-dog world, and if we lock ourselves into that place where, hey, it's got to be destroyed, something better has to come along and destroy what was there instead of this wonderful symphony of what was there with what's becoming, with what will be all together, all in one. I mean, yeah. that, just, that just feels really exciting yeah. that we can yeah. actually get to that. Yep, I used to be, you know, I wanted to consider myself very logical and science, and if it's not proven, it's nonsense. And then, you know, I just began to trust my experience more than what anyone else could prove it. So I had really mystical experiences with with breath work or uh, even ayahuasca, and just like, you know, having just like, whoa, there's so much more than what I thought, and that's <laughs> yeah. the proof I needed. It was the experience, not you know, to read a book or study some things or you know. And, and then the longer I go, the more I'm finding that science is catching up to spirituality. It's not the other way around. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that what's happening with uh, quantum physics right now? Yeah. Yeah. They're really starting is. to get more, more, more uh, yin-like, I'd say, in some of their interpretations and mm-hmm. thinking about how many dimensions that there are. Oh, there aren't 12 dimensions anymore. Oh, okay. There's more than that. <laughs> it's, it's like, this is awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah it's like. Yeah, because like, how how can you prove something that's infinite and expanding, but let's see that like, oh, science keeps like, oh, we're we're right about that now. Now we're right. Nope, nope, we're not right. Oh, wait, no. Nah. So yeah, the best science is just the best, most agreed upon theory in any given moment in any society. Um, mm. But you know, in in my own uh, growing up and coming to peace with being alive, you know, I came I came across. I can't figure who said this, but you can be right or you can be happy. And I used to really think being right mattered until I was like, you know, I'm right. I want to be right, but I'm miserable. What if I just choose to be happy? And sometimes they'll be the same. You could be right and happy, but if you insist on one or the other, I just suggest go go for the happy. Mm. Like now, like I'm glad to be wrong, and I, I'm glad to see scientists. Oh, we were wrong about that, and like mm. you know, move, the growth is in being wrong. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> very sagely, very sagely advice. That's that awesome. resonates so true for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this conversation. I love everything you're, you're up to and, and sharing. And um, how, how, how deep into the process of writing your book are you at this point? I'm very, very much in the earlier stages. I'm still doing the, uh, you know, when you're creating the pillars, I'm in the pillar stage. As I have all my pillars, I'm, I'm like, nah, I don't know if that pillar agrees with how I'm going to bring the emotion into this. Because I want to bring, I want it to feel like a wonderful symphony of like yin and yang. You know, there's this flow and there's this purpose that is expansive enough to allow the flow to encompass the breadth of the message. So I'm still working with that. Sometimes I'll change up the form and I'll be like, okay, this form feels good. And then I'll kind of play it out where I'll let the emotion unfold into it. I'm like, nah, I feel like it, it needs to be a little bit more expansive. So I'm I'm still tweaking that. It's it's early in its process. Um, now I've got a, uh, th- th- I have a few questions I, I I pick and choose from and ask people to kind of close things out. But I'm ask it, I wonder if you can even answer this. But is there anything you wish you had learned at a younger age? 
And I mentioned, mm. it seems like you learned, you, you were aware and recognized things at a such young age, but is there anything you, you know, didn't really take as a truth and, and, and you could have earlier or anything like that? Yes. I'd say that if I had my druthers to learn a little bit more of something else to add to what I had, it would be this drive to fight for what it is that really makes me happy. You know, what I would always do is isolate myself. It became very easy to just say, well, you know, I'm in this public forum where someone is saying something that uh, that's honestly disrespectful to me. But one, I would, I would take the, uh, some of the spiritualist trained approach is, Oh, you don't have to meet fire with fire, you know, just allow it to roll off your back, you know, and, you know, go into sometimes, sometimes you've got to fight the way we've got to fight is the challenge. And I feel like I wanted a little bit more, self-training in how to open up my internal fighting capabilities more. I learned it physically in being a martial artist that then full contact fighting. I guess we can get into that another time, but it was always feeling like I would love to be able to learn a little bit more about how to, how to broach like really difficult subjects and be able to talk all of them out instead of, like hearing what someone says and then, well, I'll double back and bring it up another time. I'd like to bring it up at one time. You know, maybe there's an opportunity for where this fiery energy can really come forward and we can really, you can, he could feel my passion or she can feel my passion. I could feel his or her passion and we can come together for a solution in one time instead of 50, 60 times of interactions, you know? And with, so many things that you do and so many things that you recognize you can do better, improve, perfect, mastery. What are you most excited about or looking forward to? Hmm. I'm most excited for the time that we're in. The time that we're in right now is this place where this, this feminine energy is allowing itself to come forward and is taking the stage as in the forefront, as in, Look at how amazing the feminine energy is. It should not be suppressed. It's been suppressed for thousands of years. And there's, there's lots of stuff that can be said that the feminine has its strengths and weaknesses about. But everything needs to have a voice. And if nothing has a voice, it's going to come exploding out later on. And you might even notice that. And, and some people might be angry or hostile because they're finally getting a chance to speak masculine or feminine there's this energy of well we're getting a chance to speak this is my perspective about it finally someone's hearing me you know if we were able to energetically connect and feel out from the very beginning there would be less explosion you know there would be more conversation but there'd also be that opportunity for us to do the thing that i had been trying to learn earlier in my life which is broach difficult subjects early on in the middle as it's uncovered you know <laughs> like like racism, that's a, that's a, that's a big subject, you know, and you, you have to want to come into that uh, situation like that and to be able to help people who may have felt like they didn't have a voice to have a voice, but also not blast and destroy anyone else that also has a stake in us. Because in truth, all of us have a stake in things like racism. There's other things too, uh, spirituality, being able to climb this the last little pyramid of needs right you have your lower needs you know you got to cover your your air and you got to have food well then there's that next level above that and this next level above that spirituality and higher consciousness and reasoning and science and uh societal awakening and with societal awakening yeah feminine coming forth now this is awesome awesome time awesome time Cool. Cool. Don't hear many people saying that. So I'm really glad to, to have that perspective out there. Um, so Akeem, what's the, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, track you down, see all the things that you're up to? Okay. Uh, you can go to my website, uh, Sami Arts, S-A-M-I-A-R-T-S.com. It's Sami Arts and Wellness. That's, uh, that's my main page where I'll put uh, my martial arts instructions. Uh, the, things that I teach and kind of look at and also bringing in the massage therapy aspect, which is connecting to the wellness aspect. 
of my teachings and the pranic healing work that I do as well, which is working with the person's energy body. Remember we were talking about chakras earlier. Well, mm. in pranic healing, I also work with people's energy fields. I can do distance work. I can do stuff in person. I like in person, but I have worked on people in like Kenya uh, and felt the difference, you know, when you sample it. So I, I also have those offerings there on samiarts.com as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, definitely going to have you back. I, you know, actually, I can't decide. If I might just uh, keep you to myself, not not have the sake of a show, but I definitely want to talk to you more. Um, yeah. So I, I want to I, I thank you for your time, Akeem. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening. And we'll have links at realmanfield.org in the show notes for this, for, for your website, and uh, to link to your dad book, your dad's book, and, and, and keep all that going. And uh, or is your grandmother's pie business, is that still going? Uh, it's not. It's, oh, okay. it's kind of uh, after a uh, after she kind of retired, after I was no longer doing a, a lot of the marketing stuff. Now she worked with my little sister too, but you know, they just kind of grew out of it. We moved away from San Antonio. She now lives in rural Oklahoma and Chataland. That's Indian blood. Like, I guess that's something else we could talk about. Yeah. yeah we didn't get to Gina. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. You, you have so much going on. It's uh, thanks for taking the time and sharing a bit of your heart, a bit of your energy, a bit of the force with us. Uh, greatly appreciated. And everyone listening, uh, thank you for your time. Wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, please please give us some energy and some love, some force with, with a share, a like, a subscription. Uh, recommend a guest. Recommend the show to someone else. Um, and until next time, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.